the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. What'd you learn in the field hearings, Congressman? Uh, that we had some powerful witnesses who told how when you have soft on crime policies, bad things happen, and they happen to their families. We had uh, Madeline Brame, which is an amazing, amazing lady, talking about what happened to her son. Uh, and then the sweetheart deal, Alvin Bragg gave to a couple of the people who were responsible for taking her son's life. We heard from the father of, a, of the Jewish father whose son was attacked simply for being Jewish. Um, this anti-Semitic, uh, this terrible, he gets attacked and beat up and all this happened to him. It was just a powerful hearing. And, it, and as you point out, Bob, it showed that, you know, when you have these kind of DAs who don't put bad guys in, in, in a way, bad things happen. And instead, in the case of Alvin Bragg, you have him focusing on politics. Mm-hmm. And in particular, going after a former president for no crime, indicting a former president for no crime, uh, using federal tax dollars to do it. And then when we want to talk to one of his assistants who no longer works there, who hasn't been there for a year, he takes us to court. Um, so um, all that, I think, was part of what was, was going on on, on Monday at the, at the big hearing. Congressman, see if you can give us an update on that, because earlier this week I saw that the judge did uh, rule in your favor, uh, saying that the former prosecutor, Pomerantz, did have to testify before a House Judiciary uh, Committee, this uh, in response to Bragg's lawsuit. But then I just saw this one saying uh, an appeals court has halted that decision. Can you tell us where it stands? Well, the court's decision uh, was as strong as it could be. They said Mr. Pomerantz needs to testify. I mean, he said, you know, no one is above the law. That uh, you know his his throw everything at the wall approach to to certain privileges uh, uh, was lacking. I mean it was a strong. You could not have written a stronger opinion. So we appreciate what the court said and that we were able to win on on, on that first round. It was stayed for uh, while while that that is supposed to be that hearing in front of the Second Circuit is supposed to take place on Tuesday. And then of course there will be negotiations between uh, their lawyers and our lawyers, and, and we'll see. But we expect Mr. Pomerantz to sit for a deposition. And we hope that that is going to happen real soon. What do you hope to learn from Mark Pomerantz? Well, we want to know. Um, we want to know how, just how everything seems political here. His book. When you look at certain things he said in his book, it sure seems like it was just a, this political vendetta that the left has had for President Trump since the get go, since he came down the escalator. So we want to ask him about that. We want to focus on the book. We're not allowed to get into grand jury material, which we understand. But, uh, you know, this guy went out and talked on 60 Minutes. Uh, he, is, he has said that he, he would have he, – he said his wife asked him what, when he went to work for the DA's office, his wife asked what, what he was getting paid. He said, um, you know, they, they didn't have to pay him a thing because he wants to go work for free to go after President Trump. That was, in essence, his, his mindset. So we want to explore that. And then, frankly, um, I, I do think – and this is part of some of the other correspondence we've sent to Mr. Colangelo. Um, we want to know uh, if there were – if there was any type of coordination between the Biden Justice Department, the Biden uh, administration, and what was going on up there at the, at the DA's office in Manhattan. 
Yeah, and that's a that's a very fair question, given all of the political persecution that you've talked about that has been orchestrated in a number of different ways against President Trump, going all the way back to, as you say, 2016 or 2015 when he came down that golden escalator. And now, um, let's let's follow up on that um, to this breaking news story, according to a whistleblower. Uh, testimony has revealed that Tony Blinken, then serving as an advisor to the Biden campaign, um, either wrote or at least coordinated with and helped write the letter that 51 intelligence officials signed that, that they always point to, saying that the uh, Hunter laptop story was was Russian disinformation. Now it looks like Tony Blinken, who has become his secretary of state, was responsible for that. So wh- what does that say? Well, he was. It was his prompting. It was. It was a call from Tony Blinken, uh, contact from Tony Blinken on October seventeenth, three days after the New York Post story was 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 published on October fourteenth, twenty twenty. Three days later, Mr. Blinken, who's an advisor to the Biden campaign, gets a hold of of Michael Mike Morell, the guy who was responsible for putting that whole statement together of the fifty one former intel officials. He gets a hold of Mike Morell, asking him about, it. do you think this is Russian stuff? Then he later that day sends him a story. That was in USA Today, linking you know the Biden laptop to possibly being a Russian information operation, and Morell just goes with that. The next two days, he puts together the letter, gets the fifty people to sign it. On the nineteenth, the letter is released, and Mike Morell told us when we deposed him a couple weeks ago, he said, "I did it because a, I thought Trump was going to use this story, this laptop story, New York Post story, in the upcoming debate, the debate that was on October twenty second, twenty twenty." I thought he was going to use it. I wanted President, uh, Vice President Biden to win the election, and so I put it together for that reason. So that's why he put it together. Now, he, he thought actually it was Russian involvement, and that's what he believed at the time. Um, but he put it together to help Biden in the debate and help Biden win, and it was at the prompting of Tony Blinken. After the debate on the 22nd, guess what happened? Steve Reschetti, who is the chairman of the Biden campaign, gets on the phone and thanks Mike Morrell for what he did, for putting that letter together. And and during that debate, never forget, never forget two key facts. A, it was false what they said because it wasn't a Russian information operation. So that was false. Second, Biden presented it in the debate as if it was some organic thing, as if it just happened. These 51 guys just all got together and, and, and did it when it wasn't that way at all. It was it was with the campaign. The campaign even told Mike Morrell, here's the journalist we want you to use to break this story about this letter. So that that is what we learned in that deposition. It's one of the many things we've learned as part of our uh, investigation into how government has been used against the American people. And just to just to clarify for people, when you do a deposition, these people testify under oath, correct? They sure under, do. Un, under yeah, penalty sure of do. perjury. So what C, former CIA acting director Mike Morrell told you and Mike Turner uh, is that Tony Blinken, literally a phone call that he had actually uh, with Tony Blinken, triggered Morrell to draft that statement that they then said 51 people signed. So, again, let's go back, because you talked about this persecution starting way back in 2015, and it did. The Russia hoax that was, uh, you know, two and a half years of wasted time and resources <clears throat> with the Mueller investigation, proved that that was nothing but a hoax. Then they used the Russians again. It seems like that's their go-to move when it comes time for pre- President, yeah. uh, uh, President uh, Trump to be reelected. They use Russians again here to try to draft this ridiculous story to kill the, uh, kill the Hunter Biden. The damaging would be an understatement. What do you think would have been the result had this letter not been drafted, had Tony Blinken and Mike Morrell not acted, and Hunter Biden's laptop contents were revealed to the American public two weeks before the election? Well, 
it's not what I think. It's what polling suggests. Polling suggests that if the American people would have known this, that they'd had a chance to really digest this information, uh, that it would have changed the outcome of the election. So that's what polling suggests. Because understand what this letter became the final stamp. The big tech was already and big media were already trying to downplay the Hunter Biden story. But when this comes out, this letter from 51 former intel and understand on that letter to Bob, it had their titles, their former titles. So it gave it the, you know, the, the, the weight, the gravitas of, oh, this is the former head of the DNI. This is the former head of the CIA. It, it had. So that letter became the final straw for big tech to then suppress the story, not let it be shared, not let it be uh, moved about, not let it be liked and talked about on, on social media. And that that had to impact election. And, of course, polling suggests that it may have, in fact, changed the election. Congressman, uh, we're talking to Congressman Jim Jordan, the uh, House Judiciary Committee uh, chairman. Um, you made a statement a few days ago. You are 100 percent all in for President Trump. Um, I, I want you to speak to that um, to quiet the critics or at least to give the critics an explanation, because many of them are saying you are just in the tank for Trump. You're one of his lead guys. You're one of his lead attack dogs. And that's driving your actions as chairman of both the Judiciary Committee and the Weaponization Subcommittee, that this is all about you getting your guy elected, that you're not doing the work of the American people. You're doing the work of Donald Trump. Can you can you kind of give something to them to shut them down? Because I know where your heart is, and I know where yeah, I know your your intentions are the best. But this is what they're saying about you, sir. So can you respond to them? Well, the weaponization of uh, having agencies turned on the American people and we the people and the taxpayer is wrong, regardless of who who's in the White House or who we want to be in the White House. So that's why we're doing it. It's about the First Amendment. It's about protecting the Constitution. That's what this is about. Understand what we've uncovered in the last several weeks. We learned that the FTC sent 13 letters to Twitter after Elon Musk bought the company. The first letter after the first Twitter files comes out, the first question in that letter was, who are the journalists you're talking to? Name four journalists by name. The two of those journalists testify, and Democrats ask them, who, who are your sources? Another attack on the First Amendment. While they're asking those kind of ridiculous questions, the IRS is knocking on one of those journalists' door. That's all because of the investigations we are doing to get the facts on the table for the American people so we can propose legislation to stop this stuff. And, oh, by the way, we've also, because a whistleblower came forward, we learned what the FBI Richmond Field Office was doing, how they were targeting traditional Catholics. Another attack on the First Amendment. This is about protecting the Constitution, the First Amendment, and, frankly, doing our job. When have we ever seen, in the, in the case of Alvin Brack, when have you ever seen a local prosecutor indict a former president? It's never happened in the history. In 200-plus years, the history of this country, it's never happened. And you look at the judge's opinion, because the judge cites, oh, the judge says in the, in the Bragg's brief, they argue that, oh, the, the uh, Jordan and the Judiciary Committee are doing un- something unprecedented. They're, they're, they're trying to weigh in on a local matter. She points out in the footnote, she says, looks to me like you're also doing something unprecedented, which is indicting a former president, which has never been done. She says both swim in untested waters. So the judge was fair there, but her ruling, the court's ruling, was so strongly in our favor. So we have the judge who's, the court who's ruled on our side, and we're defending the First Amendment. That's why we're doing this work. That's a great response. And, and of course, I would continue to point out it's not the former president being indicted that to me is so astounding. It is the current candidate and leader of the opposition party that is, uh, you know, that that makes this almost election interference, I think a number of people have said. Congressman Jordan, um, I want to pivot now. Yesterday, an important uh, bill was passed out of the House um, with absolutely zero support from Democrats. 203 Democrats unanimously opposed protecting women's sports from invasion by biological males. What does that tell us? 
it tells us just how crazy the left has become and how how the left has now got control of one of the two major political parties in this in this great country, the greatest country ever. And it it it, it just <laughs> defies common sense. It it, it it's it like it, you and I are surprised that we're even having to have a bill like this for goodness sake. But um, you know, it just it just a, a reflection of the where things are today in, in, in American politics and it's and uh, culture. Uh, but I think the vast majority of the country gets it. I know all the all your listeners get that you shouldn't have boys competing against girls in sports, for goodness sake. Uh, so um, we're just going to we're just going to keep pressing ahead and doing what we know is the is the right thing for the country. Well, you know, it's it's just so frustrating because to hear the left tell it, you know, they're the party that advocates for the Democrats are the party that advocates for the protection of people in marginalized classes or marginalized groups. Well, women are one of those, particularly when it comes to athletic endeavors. They are the ones that would be in jeopardy here. They don't advocate for them, though. They advocate for the trans movement. Why? What is their motivation here? They call a bill like the Saving Women's Sports Act, which was passed out of your house yesterday, um, they call that an attack on trans kids or trans people. But to not protect women's sports is a full attack on women. Suddenly they don't yeah. care about women's you know, safety and they don't care about women's causes and women's concerns. That, to me, is what's so astounding here. Yeah, no, and well, and well said. Um, the part that probably bothers me, too, so much is the left always says, they go, you Republicans, you conservatives, you're always, you're always involving yourselves in the culture wars. And I'm like, what? We, we, you're the ones who said boys should compete against girls in sports. You're the ones who brought it up. We did. We just wanted it to be like common sense, the way it's supposed to be, for goodness sake. So it's not like we're starting this culture war. We're just defending this, what what would be normal, what would be what would be, uh, you know, again, common sense. So um, that's the frustrating part as well. And as and as you point out, it's actually an attack on uh, I think what what Title IX was about and what uh, you know protecting women and allowing them to have the opportunities. To, to compete uh, and excel in, in their chosen sport. Congressman, I saved the best for last here. This is extraordinarily important. Yesterday, I had on uh, Adam Brandon. He's the president of FreedomWorks, and uh, mm-hmm. we were talking about the, the debt crisis, the $31 trillion in debt that we have right now as a nation. He said we'll become $51 trillion in 10 years at our current pace. Yeah. Obviously, we have to do something. So here we sit now facing the debt ceiling once again, and uh, Speaker McCarthy yesterday uh, unveiled uh, the plan, uh, unveiled the, um, uh, what are we calling it again, the Limit Save and Grow Act, which he says yes. will uh, bring the spending under control and it will save us over the course of 10 years $4.5 trillion. What can you tell us uh, about this act? Well, it's 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 good because we're actually gonna we're actually gonna change change things, uh, and, and we certainly have to because, as Adam pointed out, we're on the on a track that is just unsustainable. Um, so it, it is the right kind of stuff that he's done. We're, we're doing some good savings, some long term savings, some savings in the short run, clawing back some of the unspent COVID money. Uh, the IRS agents, the eighty seven thousand. So there's some uh, there's some focus on this this weaponization of government against we the people as well. So I think it's good. The one thing I wish was also in there was this idea we've talked about before, where when we get to the fisc- end of the fiscal year uh, uh, on, on September 30th, that if we don't have an appropriations process finished, that you don't you don't shut down the government, but you ratchet down. You say we're going to spend where we're at, and then with each month that we don't get our job done, you you start saying, okay, well, now we're going to spend at 99 percent of what we were spending. You you can achieve savings that way too, and not have a shutdown. But overall, I think this uh, this plan is putting the right things there, and we'll see what Joe Biden says. See what he does. He says, "Oh, we're not going to negotiate. We got to go. We just got to keep doing the same old, same old." Well, that's that's no one believes that except uh, the the you know the Democrats in Washington. 
But uh, this is something I think you will see pass next week, and then we'll move on with the negotiation. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about the negotiations. The press secretary yesterday, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, first of all lied and said that the proposal put forth by Speaker McCarthy would not uh, would not keep us out of default. That's number one. They had to, she had to be corrected by a CNN reporter, of all things. Uh, and then secondly, um, she basically said this uh, entire proposal guts the things that are most important to the American people, and it's a dead issue as far as when it arrives to uh, President Biden and his negotiators. Well, I mean, that is just so, so ridiculous. Again, it shows how crazy the left is. We've got record debt, record spending, record inflation, and we don't want to change anything. Well, well who, who can say that? that? That is just so, so ridiculous. But that's their ridiculous position. So, again, I think the country gets that. We're going to have to pass this next week and then go take the case to the American people. And I think the American people are smart. And I think they're going to say, yeah, that makes no sense. Get to the table, Joe Biden. Let's figure out what we can do. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.